This podcast is made possible through donations from listeners like you and our partners at Tallman Equipment, where they pride themselves on equipping their customers with the tools they need to get the job done right. They are dedicated to set the standard for quality, convenience, and reliability. At Tallman, your opinion is important to them. Rate and review any product or tool you've used on their new website at tallmanequipment.com. Line 11 Clothing Company. Making apparel for our first responders with a positive message to patriots that you can be proud of. A proceed of the cost goes to helping our foundation ignite the fire for father engagement. Give them a follow at Line11Clothing on Instagram. And last but not least, Monzingo Knives. Each knife is created with craftsmanship that only a tradesman could provide. Find them on Instagram at Monzingo Knives and get your American-made Monzingo knife today. Welcome to the Show Up Dad. This podcast is created for hardworking fathers. At the Show Up Dad, we recognize that fathers providing for their children is certainly important. But when a men truly understand their unique role and gain the knowledge and skills to be great fathers, they can transform and impact future generations. I'd like to give a warm welcome to Eric Allen. Eric has been married to his wife for 16 years. Together, they have two children and live in northern Idaho. Along with being the sole provider for his family, Eric is an entrepreneur and a host of two podcasts, The Eric Allen Show and Top Rated MMA. Eric likes to give back by sharing his story and encouraging others. No matter what path you are on, you can find hope and purpose. Welcome to the show, brother. Hey, man. Thank you so much for being or for me, having me on your show, man. It's such an honor to be here, man. Truly appreciate it. Absolutely. Like always, Eric, I want you to open up with just giving us a brief background about your, your past, you know, uh, your childhood and your father and stuff like that, if you don't mind, brother. Yeah, not at all. I mean, I grew up in, I thought it was a typical household. I grew up in Eastern Washington. My dad was always like the, the fun dude who wanted to go adventure and go literally take my best friend Dave and I and throw us in dumpsters behind big stores on Saturday mornings. That was a typical weekend for us and say, go find treasure. Like that was just a, a thing that my dad loved to do. You know, I grew up going to church and, and then my, you know, played little league. And then my parents got divorced when I was 11 years old. And I'd never heard that word before. Didn't know anybody that got a divorce before. And it was kind of a, a sticker shock to my system. My mom ended up getting together with a guy who was very physically abusive almost right away that I remember. And there were times where they would be arguing and I would be on the outside of the house looking through their window and he'd be hitting her with a cordless phone when those around, you know, yeah. and I'd call the police, they'd show up. My mom wouldn't press charges and that happened all the time. And I never understood why my mom never pressed charges or never tried to get away from this guy. And then they did the smart thing. They got pregnant. Hmm. And they decided to move us from Eastern Washington up to small town, Montana, Stevensville, Montana, this beautiful area right there on the Bitterroot River. And they rented this house on five acres. And that house had three bedrooms. It was one for them, one for my brother, who's a couple months old, and one for my sister, who's four years younger than me. Hmm. And they said, Eric, you get to live in the garage. So I literally had this plastic tarp at the end of my bed that separated my bed from the truck that pulled in. And I had a fireplace on my half of the garage that kept me semi-warm during the winters when it would get down to negative degrees. You know, I, I kind of found freedom out there. I played a lot of Tecmo Bowl while I was out there, you know. But, you know, it was, it was, it was an interesting time because I was at the age where I was like kind of wanted to be away from the family. But I also kind of felt like this rejection, you know, being out there. Mm -hmm. And that physical abuse that they did in Washington continued when we got to Montana. But it was worse because it would take longer for the police to get there. And I remember there was a night when I was 13 years old. I was brushing my teeth. They came home arguing. Wasn't anything different. Um, but as I was brushing my teeth, I felt what I thought was God. And I felt, I, I, to, the, to this day, feel like it was God saying, dude, you got to turn around. 
and check out what's going on. So the way the house was set up was behind me was the kitchen to the pantry to the garage door where I stayed. Mm -hmm. And as I turned around the corner, I saw him in the pantry on the floor on top of my mom, just punch her in the face. One after the boom, boom, boom. I was like, man, I got to get this guy off. And so I walked up behind him. I grabbed a cast iron pan and I swung as hard as I could. And I split the back of his head open. And he turned around. And as he turned around, I took another swing and I split his forehead open. And I hit him so hard the second time, I'd actually fallen over. And I remember him standing up over me. He was bleeding down his face. He's starting to yell. My mom jumps up, lands like six punches in a row to his face, blood splatting on the wall. Cops finally show up, take him to jail. My mom doesn't press charges. The next day I was kicked out. I had three months left in my freshman year of high school. And so I went left, uh, lived with my buddy Forrest. I uh, slept on hardwood floors, man, for the last three months of my freshman year. And that sent me on this path of destruction for the next 10 years where I battled addictions. I was in jail at 18. I was bankrupt at 21. Between the ages of 18 and 21, I moved 21 times mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, lived a rock star lifestyle. You know, without being a rock star, I moved up to Seattle, worked in the music business for a while, and then um, got rocked by God in 2004, man. Wow, man. I mean, your journey is just absolutely amazing. I mean, just to see the level of adversity that you had to go through as a child. No child should ever see their 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 mother be beat like that. I mean, I'm yeah, sorry for that. Bad. You know, um, I wanted to ask you, yeah. you know, whatever happened to your father, like your, your biological father, did you ever see him again after that or during the time or? Yeah. So after my freshman year of high school, uh, uh-huh. once I was kicked out of my mom's house, I went back to live with him in Washington. So I finished high school, sophomore through senior year at his place. Uh, but what he did was he rented a house for him and I that was close enough to the high school that I could take a public bus to school. Mm-hmm. And then he would go stay with his girlfriend. So he'd put hunger man meals in the freezer and cereal milk in the house. And he put 20 bucks in the cup. And that was my lunch money for the week, five mm-hmm. bucks a day. And then he would go stay there. So I, there would be times where I wouldn't see my dad for maybe twice a month he, mm-hmm. in passing. Right. Cause he would go stay at his girlfriend's house. So it was up to me to, you know, I had no accountability, no adult supervision. So I started, you know, my house became the, the party house. We had a shed in the backyard where we, me and my buddies would go out there and smoke pot all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and we knew that my dad wasn't going to be there. And uh, so then my senior of high school, a couple months before I graduated, him and his girlfriend decided to, to, I don't know if they bought a house or rented a house, but we all moved into one house together. Mm-hmm. And I woke up to a, a note two weeks after I graduated high school on my bathroom mirror that said, you can't comply with house rules. You have 48 hours to get out. And it was because I didn't do the dishes for two days in a row. Oh, wow. I actually did do the dishes, but I was, I have this weird thing where I don't like wet food. And so I just said, Hey, if you're done and you don't finish your plate, just scrape it off in the garbage. So I don't have to like touch the wet food. And they didn't. So what I did was I took the plates out of the wet food, uh, put them on the side and I watched the rest. And I put the ones back in the sink. And uh, that was enough to get me kicked out of my house. And then essentially between ages of 18 and 21, I moved 21 times. Wow. Eric, I wanted to ask you just because I've, I've, I've seen this, I've witnessed this before. Um, yeah. Not having accountability, you know, like, like you said, your father basically gave you that 20 bucks, right? Yep. And uh, would see you every now and then. Um, I've seen this on two different occasions. One being a good friend of mine. He was on a podcast before where his, he lived on top of a bar, right? His dad was a truck driver mm. and his dad literally would give him 40 bucks for the month for food and a, a handle of alcohol. And then have, have at it kid. See you wow. next month, you know? And, Crazy. uh, he talks about how that, that had a, a, a big effect on his life. You know what I mean? He just being solitary, not having any kind of rules or guidelines, you know, um, as we know, boys need guidelines before they have relation, right? We need to have those set guidelines. Right. Um, 
The second time I seen this, Eric, is with my own brother-in-law. Uh, his mother and father got divorced. Same thing like you. Uh, the father put him up in a, an apartment right next to the high school. And at that time, he was the talk of the, of the town, right? Everybody wanted to go hang out with Rick because he had a car. He had, you know, part, wild parties, you know, all this different stuff. He had no supervision and everything like that. But that left him growing up pretty empty, he said. You totally. know? Yep. So how did, how did that affect you, having that leeway and freedom and, and no boundaries and stuff like that? Yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't good in school. I, you know, I, I would get stoned before school at lunch after school. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't like a kid who got into fights or anything like that. I was a pretty scrawny high school kid. So I stayed away from the, the folks that I might get in a fight with. Right. Um, I was the, the peace loving pot smoking kid that I was, that was kind of my thing. Right. And I worked a hot topic when I was in high school. Right. That was the, that was what I, I dressed like that was my, you know, the people I hung out with and great dudes, but I got into drugs really early. So while I was in high school, I was smoking pot. I was taking, uh, you know, acid. I was taking mushrooms. I was doing opium and hash. Mm-hmm. And even to the point where my buddies and I, you know, a hit of acid was five bucks, but we could go to the store and buy a bottle of Robitussin DM that had morphine in it for two fifty. So we would go and do that, chug that bottle. It would give us the same effect as taking a hit of acid. And we did that all the time. And, you know, so I think I took what I was lacking in accountability from adult supervision and just the, the past, which now looking back on, I realized that I was like kind of sinking away or trying to drown out the, that abuse and rejection that mm-hmm. I witnessed. Um, and I just put it into drugs. And then when I was 18 years old, I got arrested. I had a bong, uh, actually, you know, we were out camping and a cop came into our campsite. I had a bong there. And so I was the only one that was 18. I had to go to jail and I literally got out the day I was still senior in high school. So I just wrote a note to my dad in the morning. Hey, I'm staying at Danny's house. I'll be back tomorrow. Cause I knew he would never check. Mm-hmm. So I checked myself in at jail. And here's the funny thing was, I didn't know the Lord obviously at that time. Um, yeah. but I was scared to death that I was going to go to jail and something was, that was going to happen. I took my dad's Bible uh, that had, it was like this, you know, 1970s Bible, King James version. And that was the only thing I could bring into the jail cell with me. So I showed up at three o'clock and I said, I'm here to check myself into jail. And it was black and white chain gang outfit on man, bright orange slippers. I luckily had my own cell, um, but there was about 10 other guys in this open kind of room mm-hmm. and in there. And I just sat down at the table and I didn't talk to anybody. And I just read the Bible. <laughs> I was like, I'm starting Genesis one, Lord, I'm sorry. I don't ever want to do this again. (laughs) It's a, it's amazing how those, those times like that, when we're hitting rock bottom, you know what I mean? That that will drive us to, to seeking the Lord, you know, and seeking answers, you know? And yeah, uh, but it didn't really stick because I got out and went right right back to drinking as soon as I was done, you know, uh, with jail. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If I do it while I'm here, maybe he'll keep me safe. (laughs) Right. I, uh, I had a similar story like that too. When I got out of the military, I actually went to jail and um, we stopped in Scottsdale, Arizona. Right. And I was with a good friend of mine. He passed away. Uh, he was like a mentor to me. Oh, man. And uh, anyhow, long story short, we stopped in Scottsdale. We were going to stay two nights there. And we got an altercation with uh, some security guards and the next, you know, Scottsdale police roll up in their bikes, you know, and, I remember, I remember turning and looking and we're, we're fighting outside. Right. And then I, I see my buddy, John, he's running down, you know, Scottsdale road over there and uh, this pedal bike police officers pedaling, right. Pedaling, pedaling after him. And he gets off his bike. He does a John Wayne right off the bike and tackles John no way. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. tackles him. Dude, I, I got hit with a, an asp. It, um, it almost broke my shoulder. I mean, he, the little ball of the asp 
struck my my temple and it just kind of kind of glanced it right to where it tore my ear and i could pull my ear and there was a separation between my ear and my head you know what i mean while i was was in jail yeah (laughs) and i i remember my whole right side of my body just going limp i couldn't use my right arm so i'm over there trying to battle these dudes with with one arm you know what i mean (laughs) next thing you know we're going to jail um yeah they take us before they, they put us in the drunk tank. They put us with the justice of the peace. And uh, the guy's like, oh, don't worry. You're going to get out, whatever. No, you know, that's Arizona. That's when uh, Sheriff Arpaio was in. And they wanted us taking it. That that three days or two days were there wound up costing us six months in jail over there. And I went to Tent City and Towers Jail. Over there oh, that my time. gosh. That's yeah, crazy. Pretty gnarly, though. But I, um, I remember just being in a pod like you. Yeah. Um, walking up the stairs and uh one of the guys he comes up to me he had red hair and lightning bolts on his neck and he's like oh hey what are you and i look at him i'm like what do you mean what i am and he's like oh well what are you what do you mean and he's like oh well, are you white and i look at my skin and i look back at him i was like obviously you know what i mean he's like oh yeah he's one of us you know what i mean and long story short i just walked into a pod where they had just had this this big old race war so they're on lockdown and stuff and it was it was was crazy you know what i mean crazy but uh i remember the the stripes and the pink jumper you know the pink boxers and the orange shoes and stuff like that so crazy just just crazy similarity and stories you know what i mean but i was reading my bible too you know (laughs) come on come on that's awesome yeah yeah but uh i wanted to ask you brother you know i i've been a you know i i see my mom get hit as well Mm -hmm. yeah this is from my biological father i've seen some stuff like that as well how did that affect you bro when you saw that i mean did it make you feel helpless i mean like like what did you how did it make you feel it did man i mean it it, because i i I didn't feel helpless because i couldn't do anything i felt helpless because she didn't do anything Mm. and i think at a young age i was trying to help her by calling the police Mm-hmm. And I had called the police so many times and then she didn't do anything. And it finally got to that point where I, where I, like I said, felt God saying, dude, you got to do something. Mm-hmm. You know? And that dude, I ran into him when I was like 22 years old and I was still drinking and I almost knocked him out. I was, I was, I didn't, I didn't know the Lord. I was in a real deep depression and I showed up at a Christmas party, a family party. And he was there my, with my mom. And I remember standing there in the kitchen and I had, just the highest amount of temptation to just bust a beer bottle over his head at that point. Mm-hmm. And it'd been years. I hadn't seen him in 10 years, but also the anger, all of that came back, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but yeah, I did. I, there was times where I didn't feel hopeless for me. I felt hopeless for my mom and she stayed with him for, like I said, probably another 10 years. And you know, my younger brother who was born with them, he's 28 years old now, man. I mean, mm-hmm. and, uh, but yeah, so I, I don't have a close relationship with my mom. Um, or any of my siblings actually at this point. Yeah, it's crazy. Cause I can relate to that too, because, um, for a long time I was angry at my father, you know, why, why would you hit this woman who is my mom, you know, this person that you, you married to, to have in the hold and all this different stuff that goes on in your head as a child, yeah. you know? Um, but then I started growing this resentment towards my mom too, because she wouldn't do anything. She stayed mm-hmm. with him, totally. you know, and, um, yep. It wasn't until I was older growing up and, and growing more mature in, in my walk and stuff like that, that it wasn't anger that I had towards my dad. It was that unsettling, like you kind of had where you were wondering why your mom stayed. And mm-hmm. it, it was a resent for me. It was a resentment. It was like, mm-hmm. what is wrong with you? Why would you stay? You know? Yep. 
mine grew into that for sure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think I had to have a tough conversation with my mom just even just in the last year because mm-hmm. she was still just kind of that needy person and, and always had drama. And I just said, you know what, mom, that's, you know, I'm, I'm 42 years old. I don't need my mama. Like every time you call me, there's drama involved. Do you need this or you need, you know, money for this? And I'm like, you know what? Like you got a rich boyfriend and Mandy, you know, my sister's down there with you. Like I can't bring that drama into my family. I'm done. Like, you know, unless you got something that's legit, like mm-hmm. I, we gotta, we gotta cut this back mm-hmm. because just even having her on the phone was dry. It was draining me mentally, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. You definitely got to put those boundaries up. Cause if you just don't, like your last guest, man, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> now I wanted to ask you, um, going back to that situation. Okay. Yeah. Um, with my mom. Okay. I had a past guest, Jim Howard. Um, he talks about uh, domestic violence and stuff like that. And one of the things he said was that a lot of these women that he, he came upon, right. Who had been battered by their husbands or mm. significant other or whatever. Yep. Derry had enough to put the guys in jail and they would not put them in jail. And he said, cause I asked him the same question. I was like, why didn't they, you know, cause I wanted to ask for myself, you know what I mean? Right. For, and for our listeners. Yeah. And he said, the reason being is because the man who was beating them, whether it be their husband or their boyfriend, whatever was the sole provider. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So for them to go to jail meant them missing a meal. Yes. And when yep. he said that it made sense to me and I was like, wow, you know what I mean? Yeah, it was interesting. I don't even know how they survived. He did this weird t-shirt company thing, like a mm-hmm. weird, like sort of like funny t-shirts. And then he ended up getting arrested for fraud because he was selling all these shirts or promising all these shirts that he was doing and all this stuff. But yeah, I mean, my, he was the sole provider. My mom was not working when they were together. Mm-hmm. So that totally makes sense. Absolutely. Now I wanted to ask you, Eric, so you've had this, this amazing, you know, transition from all this stuff that you got in childhood and trouble and stuff like that. And you change your life around, you know, you talk a little bit about God, how has God played a major role in your life? God is everything for me, man. You know, he sent a girl into my life when I was down at the lowest point. I was working in the music business. I don't know how to play anything, but it was always a dream of mine to be in the music business. And I ended up landing this uh, internship with Universal Records in Seattle for six months. And then I got hired on to get paid, you know, actually got paid to track sales and set up meet and greets and stuff like that. It was best job ever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I had this two-year span where I probably went to 175 concerts and lived this rock star lifestyle without being a rock star. And then if people remember the Napster days, mm-hmm. Napster killed the music industry. I got laid off my one-year anniversary along with half our office. And it really sunk me down into this depression. I was living in this really ghetto apartment across the street from where Jimi Hendrix is buried in Renton, Washington. Oh, wow. And, you know, it was like, I had international hall. So you go down the hall, there's like, you know, people from every country and, you know, people arguing and fighting in the hall the whole time. It was, it was like an old hotel that got turned into apartments. Mm. And I was working at Starbucks at night and I'd get off work and go get a six pack of beer, go to my apartment and drink myself to sleep every night. And one night, at Starbucks, this girl walked in and she doesn't drink coffee. And she says, Hey, we've got this cool college age event down in our church. Would you be interested in going? And I had to sit there and think for a second. I'm like, man, I have no friends. I'm depressed. I have no idea what I'm doing. She's good looking. All right. What time do I need to be there? Right. (laughs) Um, And so that was my, that was my, my initial thought. Mm -hmm. And so I went down to this church event and I ended up meeting all these guys that I knew 
from when I lived in Eastern Washington. So this is now in Seattle. It's like three, four hours away from where I grew up. And I ended up like seeing all these guys. Man, I haven't seen you since college. I was in college for a year off and on. Really, mm-hmm. I flunked out, right? But so I, I ended up meeting all these guys. I'm like, dude, I haven't seen you in four years. I haven't seen you in five years. And I think that God in that moment was planting a seed in me. Mm-hmm. Even that one small invitation that I went, God planted a seed. About a month later, it was Easter 2004. I was managing a band. We went out and we played this concert the night before Easter. And I woke up Easter morning uh, after a night of partying and I was in my buddy's basement surrounded by probably 15 guys and it was early and I, I was the only one awake. But I remember this moment so clearly that I felt God saying, dude, you're going down this path that's going to end your life real quick if you don't start making some changes. Mm-hmm. I decided in that moment to give my life to Christ and I quit cold turkey, drugs, drinking cigarettes, everything in that moment. And I gave my life to Christ right there in my buddy's basement. And I got in my car. And this is before I had a cell phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I called my, um, I actually had that girl's uh, phone number. And I called that girl uh, up and I got her voicemail. And I said, hey, thank you so much for inviting me to that church event. Um, I'd love to see you at the store sometime. You know, thank you again. I really appreciate it. Uh, well, a, a month later we were dating and a year later we were married. And now she's been my wife for 17 years this year. Wow. Wow. That's so, amazing. Brother. I mean. <laughs> And it's just funny that God sent that girl who's mm-hmm. I consider angel really into my life at the right time. And I think everything there's, there's, we all have this purpose in life to go make an impact, mm-hmm. you know, and she is a, such an amazing person, so much grace and mercy. And her and I were actually both born at exactly the same minute, one forty-one PM on our birth certificates, different days, every years, but the exact same minute. And wow. I'm like, man, it, apparently it's not a world record. I tried to submit it to Guinness. They said, nope, it's not a world record. So, um, but uh, yeah, so, I mean, that's how I got rock from God, man. And, and I decided in that moment that I needed to get out of the environment that I was in, right? I had to change the environment to change my life. Mm-hmm. And what ended up happening was I told them, like my friends, I'm like, dudes, I got to take a step back. I got to get healthy. And they're like, dude, that's awesome. Get healthy. You know, none of no, no grudge or anything like that. They were all supportive of that. And what I did was I replaced that partying with talking with guys. And now looking back, I'm like, I was interviewing these guys before I was even podcasting, right? So I started finding guys in the church that were living the life that I wanted to live. Guys that were following Christ, uh, you know, that had great relationship with Christ, great relationship with their marriage, great business people. And I just started taking them out to this coffee. And I'm like, tell me your story. How did you get to where you're at? What are you doing right now? And man, I just got fed by the Holy Spirit in those conversations and just got on fire. I was reading books like crazy and I got baptized that summer, man. And God just continued to open doors and still continues to open doors 17 years later, man. And it's been an awesome journey. No, no, that's definitely awesome. I mean, that's something that uh, I needed to hear for myself because, um, you know, like I said, God opened up the doors for me to be able to do this and uh, put me yeah. on this journey as well. And it's it's good to hear like-minded people as yourself just being able to to be on this journey before me and just give me insight and inspiration. And you know what I mean? Because when you're when you're doing this, a lot of times you don't think anybody's hearing, you know what I mean? (laughs) And then all of a sudden, you know, you, you start getting, you know, these emails and stuff and they're like, Hey man, don't stop. You're, you're doing an awesome job, whatever. You know what I mean? And that's just, for me, that's just confirmation that, Hey man, you're, you're on the right path. You're doing the right thing. You know what I mean? It's not easy to get up and share your story. You know, no, it's not, you know, I'm 42. I didn't share my story publicly until I was 39 years old, 30, maybe 38 years old. Um, I held it in, man. I mean, my wife and I, when we were first married, mm-hmm. like we both came from broken homes. We, we both, I think our parents combined have been married and, and divorced six, seven times, wow. you know, so we both knew what we didn't want in marriage, but we also brought a lot of junk with us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I came in thinking, you know, I was very defensive when we first got married because I was always blamed for things as a kid. And I didn't understand why I was, I would 
get angry, you know? And like, I, I went to a Christian counselor for probably six months, man, when we first got married and it helped a ton just to get my story out there. And I remember just bawling, you know, booger crying in this counselor's room going, why am I, why am I angry? Why am I crying? You know, but man, it helps so much to just get it out and start talking to people. And then, you know, we flash forward a couple of years, you know, gosh, I mean, 10 years and I was just living my life of just being sales, but I was still holding on to this stuff. And I came across a guy, uh, Pete Vargas, man, he was talking about sharing your story online. I think it was a YouTube ad. And I was like, man, maybe I should do that. And so I put a video together. You can see in the video, I have it on my YouTube. I'm super nervous, even though it's just me and I'm sharing my story. It's like an eight minute long video. And I went and shared my wife, showed it to my wife. I'm like, do you think I should share this? And she goes, yeah, I think it's super powerful, but understand that there's going to be family members that are going to see that and they might judge you. And I had to decide in that moment that my past and other people's opinions don't define my future. And I'm here because of God and he's got a purpose on my life. Mm, I like that, man. Someone needed to hear that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it, it's, it's awesome to see that. And for you to say that, that your past doesn't determine your future. You know what I mean? Don't let it dictate what's going on, what, what God has a purpose for your life, you know? And yeah. I think that's what happens to a lot of men. A lot of fathers is they forget that purpose. Um, for me, when I hired onto utility, cause I was a construction hand and stuff like that. I hired onto this utility thinking that was the end all be all. I was going to retire there. Um, my kids were going to grow up and go, go be linemen as well and all this stuff. And when that didn't happen, when that door shut on me, I didn't know what to do. I was like, what do you mean? You know mm. what I mean? Why God, I, I've been praying for this door to open for me to get into this utility for seven years. Cause they never hired people, at, you know, for a long time at this place and God opened the doors. And then when I did obtain it, you know, I let that be the pinnacle of my career, you know, and mm. uh, it was a letdown because it could never fill me up. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it was weird. It's like, I had obtained this thing, right. And it didn't fill that void that I was suffering from. And I didn't know how to deal with it. And it was like a path of self-destruction as well, dude. I went traveling all over, leaving my family, abandoning my family, you know, to go and work and, you know, yeah. trying to suffice by throwing money at them and just paying for the bills. You know what I mean? And that's right. what, that's what led me here, you know? Yeah. I think that was my mentality when I first got married too. I was like, Oh, I got to work as hard as I can. I got to put as many hours as I can. I got to go and get back into sales. I, I did sales almost my whole life and, you know, I stepped out of it to go work at Starbucks, but you know, it was just, I, I, in my mind, I'm like, I got to provide for my family. I got to, you know, get my wife home. It was always a goal. My wife always wanted to be a stay at home mom. And so as a man, I'm like, I want to be able to do that for her. I want to be able to provide for her enough so that she could come home and uh, blessed enough that, you know, when my daughter was six months old, she got to come home. But when my wife was seven months pregnant, I got laid off mm. from paid all of our bills, paid our mortgage. It was 2,400 bucks a month at the time. Like I was, I got laid off and I had no idea what to do, but I knew that I had to provide. And so I ended up going back to work at Starbucks. I'd work from 4am to 9am. I'd go home and sleep for two hours. I'd then go back to work at Trader Joe's from one in the afternoon to 11 at night. And I did that six days a week for six months. I was splitting five hours of sleep and I'd see my wife on Sundays. And I did that until I got a job that was able to provide for our family again. But I knew that I wasn't going to let my wife down. I wanted her to come home. I wanted her to be that stay-at-home mom. And whatever it took, I just did it. And, uh, you know, God just continued to open doors. I just kept being faithful of knowing that he was going to open a door at some point, right? He had a plan and I had to push through that for six months. And I think that's what happens too for a lot of men is 
we don't wait on God. You know, we think totally. we, we have to do it. I'm a man. Yeah. I'm a provider. I'm going to go out because I'm guilty of myself. You know, I totally. started, you know, same thing. You know, um, my wife was pregnant with my son. We had our son in September. That December, I'm taking off to go on an ice storm to Oklahoma and go work in, in Texas and stuff like that. And wow. I would be gone for three weeks at a time. And I remember she would call me and she's like, I can't. And at that time, that was our third child. So she had my my daughter, my middle son, and then now this brand new baby and plus a farm, right? We had mm. a big farm with over 300 chickens and stuff like that. And wow, she's like, I can't do this. She's yeah. like, you need to come home. And I'm thinking to myself, what do you mean? <laughs> you know, I, I yeah. can't come home. I got to provide for you guys, you know, and man, just the arguments that ensued from there and the trauma that was put on her from that, you know what I mean? I, I, I paid for it, you know, sure. I, yep. I did. I, I honestly paid for it. And, you know, and we had to get some marriage counseling and stuff like that and go through a tremendous amount of uh, reconciliation and stuff like that, just because of everything that I thought I was doing was right. And it was wrong, you know? Yep. Yep. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we've been married for 17 years, man. We have two amazing kids, but mm-hmm. not every year is like awesome. You know, no. <laughs> you know, not every year is a happy year, man. Unfortunately there's ups and down years, man. And, and uh, I think, you know, with us both coming from those broken homes, when we said, I do, we meant it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so we decided at that point that we were going to break that, uh, that chain of addiction, divorce, abuse, rejection that have affected our childhoods. Mm-hmm. And our kids will never have to experience that. And they see us argue. They see us make up. They see us kiss, kissing in the kitchen. They see us dancing, right? They see us laughing. They know when there's some tension in the house, but they know that we're not going anywhere. They know that we've made up, right? You know, they see uh, all of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our, our, our kids, they, I mean, we're blessed. Like my, my daughter will be 12 here very soon. My son's eight. They both gave their life to Christ at four years old. And they love to read the Bible and they love to pray and just be around other kids, man. And so I'm just like, totally blessed that God has put that on their hearts at such a, such a young age. Mm-hmm. And it's good to hear you say, God, God, because without God, none of that's possible. Totally. I yeah. mean, it isn't. I mean, I've, yeah. I've tried it the other way and it's not possible. You know, no. um, we ourselves cannot make things better. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes I think a lot of the times we get on our, in, in, we get in our own way. Yes. Oh, all the, all the time. <laughs> you know, and, and that causes major issues. Um, I liked what you said though, about how your kids see you arguing. They see you making up, they see a real life person and they're what you're doing right there. Eric is you're showing your children how healthy couples navigate problems mm. versus keeping it in the room where they're arguing behind closed doors and yelling and throwing stuff and everything. And then coming out and mom's face is all a mess, you know, and she's cleaning her face and the kids are wondering what's going on and nothing's wrong. Let's go. You know, it's that to me, that's unhealthy. Cause that's the way I grew up, you know, a right. very perfectionist household, you know, if yes. I say. right. But uh, it's good to see that you, you guys are exercising that in your own home, you know? Yeah. I mean, and people may not agree with that, but it's, it's worked for us, man. And, and for us, it's, you know, it's not like we're throwing stuff or anything like that. They do see us get, you know, sometimes yeah. heated, not superheated, but, you know, we're married, you know, being around each other for 17 years, there's going to be disagreements. There's going to be, you know, things that aren't going to make everybody happy. And we just work our way through it, man. And and uh, they see that, man. And and our kids love it, though. They 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 see the, the passion that we have for each other to make up and, and, and get back on track. Mm-hmm. 
no and it's cool because they do see it i mean they they they're, they're watching everything you know yeah. and oh totally i i keep saying that over and over again because they do um i remember one time you know me and my wife were were working together right and um we had finished some task or something like that and i looked over and i gave her a high five boom just real quick you know what i mean and my daughter looked at us and she just started giggling and laughing and like oh what's up nakota and she's like oh that is really cool. She's like, you guys high-fived each other. I'm like, what's so cool about that? She's like, no, it's just, it, it's cool to see you guys. So in that moment, she took that in and she's like, man, these, these two can get along and they can work together, you know, and accomplish a goal, you know? Love that. Yeah. You know, so it's pretty awesome, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. For sure, man. What I wanted to ask you, Eric, is you have two children, right? I do. Yeah. How do you navigate that being super busy and stuff like that? How do you find balance and stuff like that with your workload with your children? Yeah, it's such a great question, man. And I think for me, I had to, to find that time where I could find that personal time. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm not drawing close to God in my personal relationship with him, that's going to bleed out into my relationship with my kids and my family. Mm-hmm. And I worked nine to five. But here's what I do is about 10 years ago, I started waking up at 4 a.m. six days a week. So it doesn't matter what time I go to bed on Friday night, I'm still waking up at 4 a.m. on Saturday. Because I know that if I get up at 4 a.m., I can get in the shower and get up to my office by 4.30-ish, right? And immediately the first thing that I do is kick on some worship music and I spend time in prayer. And for me, prayer is very gratitude-driven, man. Thank you, Lord, for blessing me with another day. It's my goal to open my eyes every day. And so if I open my eyes, I immediately, before I even get out of bed, man, God, thank you for another day. I get to see and hug and hold and see my family. Mm-hmm. Like that's a goal of mine. So I'm already stacking those wins. I get a win there. I jump out of bed. I make my my bed. There's two wins in 15 minutes or 15 seconds, right? So I'm already building the momentum of, of winning. And then I get to my office and I get to just like get in the presence of the Holy Spirit, man, and God and just kick on some worship music and spend time in prayer. And so for me, how I balance that is I get up early. I sacrifice the sleep. And, you know, here's my thing is, you know, my desire to be successful is bigger than my desire to sleep. And so I want to be successful in marriage. I want to be successful in business. And if I can get up early, then I can make that happen. I can draw close to God. And, and so for me, I do that. I get up at four, like I said, and then I go down, I make my kids breakfast while my wife's getting ready. And I, she takes them to school. And then I start my job around eight, eight thirty ish. And then at five o'clock, I really, really try hard. And then not every night, but most of the time I'm good with it where I just turn off my phone at five o'clock, man. And the rest of the night is family time. And I've been working from home since 2015. So I, I my work attire is shorts and t-shirt and slippers, man. Like I get to see my kids on the, on Fridays. They only go to school Monday through Thursday. So Friday, I get to have lunch with my kids and I get to see them for breakfast. And, you know, I'm very blessed to be able to see my family as much as I do. But you have to set those boundaries. 4 a.m. Like I know that no one else is going to get up. But I also know that I need to draw close to God. I need to grow my personal development, business, entrepreneurship and all that stuff. And that's when I spend time doing that in the morning. Hmm. And it's cool too, because when you draw closer to God like that, because I, I started doing that as well. Um, yeah. I started seeing that I was able to handle the day's problems a lot more level headed. You know? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and um, one of the things that I was always told is level heads prevail. So mm. I'm able to, to seize that day. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. I think it's all about the attitude, man. I mean, we, it's said all over the world, right? Like we can't control things that happen to us, but we can control how we react to it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, man, if we're getting up and like, you know, stub our toe, man, are we having a bad 15 minutes or are we having a bad day? Right. So we get to choose, do we want to make a, 
uh, an awesome day out of it? Or do we want to just mope for, you know, the rest of the day, you know, and for me, I don't want to mope, man. I want to get out. I want to put a smile on someone's face every single day, man. If I see someone with a name tag on, I want to call by their name, man. I want to, I want to make an impact on the world on a daily basis. And so that's, that's what drives me every single day. Mm -hmm. And it's that energy that you're putting off too. I mean, just seeing you, just talking to you, you know, on this, in this conversation and stuff like that, you're putting out that energy that's, that's reflective of, of everything that you you're talking about. You know what I mean? You got this high energy, just real good, positive vibe going on. You know what I mean? And that's all driven from the Lord, I believe, you know? For sure. Uh, and thank you. I appreciate that, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I just think, you know, I think years ago, mm -hmm. I just finally realized that, you know what, if, if, if I'm having a bad day or if I'm grumpy, man, like if I'm allowing whatever is outside of my control to, to affect how I react or how I have my day, it's mm -hmm. going to make for a really bad day. Like, but if I can flip that attitude around and go, man, I am alive. I get to see my family. I'm so blessed, man. I want to go out and impact the people I want to, that are around me. I want to impact the world, man. And so, man, God's given us a purpose. If we open our eyes, there's a plan for us, man. Mm -hmm. Whether, whatever you're going through, if you open your eyes, man, you've got another opportunity to go make an impact. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's crazy too, is Eric, cause uh, that attitude is contagious. Cause even on a crew, you know, we're out there working or whatever, you know what I mean? wherever you're at in life. Right. Yeah. But for us would be on a crew and you have that one guy who's complaining and moping <laughs> and oh, this tool sucks and this job sucks. I can't believe we got to do this. I can't believe we got to work more hours. Yada, 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 yada. I mean, that makes for a long day. Next thing you know, you're like, you know, let's smoke this dude. Let's get him out of here. We don't want him around here. You know what I mean? This guy's, you know, for lack of better words, he's a broke dick. We don't want him around here. You totally. Know? Yeah. <laughs> you oh know? yeah. So yeah. that, that attitude is poison, you know, and I, mm. I like to say how the Bible talks about how a little leaven leavens a whole lump. Yes. And yeah. that leaven right there, dude, that bad apple is going to make everybody else. He's going to, it's going to draw them down. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. But, but the same is true for that positive upbeat attitude that, 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 that looking forward progress, you know, never stopping, never giving up, you know what I mean? Just having that positive mindset that that's, that also holds true as well. That's, that's actually contagious too. You know? Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. You got to spread positivity, man, mm -hmm. for sure. How does your kid, how do your kids respond to that? Do you, do you see a difference when you're <clears throat> setting that temple? I, I, I do, man. I think, you know, because, and our kids go to a, a private Christian school, man. And so, you know, it, they are really, you know, surrounded with God throughout the whole day, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think if, if I, if they see me happy and high energy and things like that, they're the same way it reflects, man. They want to go out and they want to high five and wrestle and go throw the ball around and things like that. And my son's a baseball player. My daughter's really big on art and things like that. And so they see that energy when I get off work, if I get off work, I'm like, Oh man, today sucked. Like, man, you know, this customer did that, man. I'm like, I get off work. I'm like, Woo, let's go. Let's go. Let's go, man. I'm off work. Now it's, now it's family time. We can do whatever we want. Let's go wrestle. Let's go high five. Let's go. You know, did you get your homework done? Like I want to get down and, and be involved. I want to be present with them, but mm -hmm. I can't take that attitude from work or whatever. I can't let that affect my family time. So for me, man, I'm like, I hit the reset button at five o'clock and boom, here we go. Let's go. It's a new day let's party on kids, you know? And so that, that reflects man off of them. And, and so we end up just having a fun time, man. I, I mean, I'm super, super blessed. Absolutely. And I seen it one time in my own household as well. And an example I give you is, um, I have this pastor friend of mine, right? He's, he sits on our board and stuff like that. And he's a lineman and we're at his house and we're talking and he's talking about how, 
as fathers, we have the ability to influence our children. Right. And he comes in and it's, it's super cold outside (laughs) and we're in this kitchen and he opens up the screen door and the cold wind comes in, you know, and it's like, I'm looking at him like, shut that door. What the hell's wrong with you? You know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Anyhow, he's like, do you guys feel, and he shuts the door and he's like, you guys feel that? And I was like, yeah. He's like, all, he's like, that's our level of influence. He's like, we have the ability to do that. We can change the atmosphere. Just like I open and shut that door. That's, the level of influence we have over our families so when you're coming in you're walking in with that bad attitude after a long day at work or whatever your kids are going to feel that your wife's going to feel that and they're going to be on edge yes man that was so good dude our kids they just like you said before man our kids are watching us you know my daughter my my son they both know that i'm a podcaster they they think it's my full-time job you know most of the time right you know Mm -hmm. i still work full-time job but you know they they think that that's my full-time job but here's the thing is i'm always talking about like hey jim Rohn said this or ed my say this you know i'm always trying to quote and give them this stuff and i told my daughter when it was first snowed up here Mm -hmm. uh, we got about two feet of snow i said you know what on new year's day let's go out and let's push our bodies a little bit let's go jump in the snow and do some snow angels she's never done that before i've done a polar plunge before 32 degrees 32 degree water man let's go do it right but they've never done that with me but i wanted them to be involved this year and so i said hey who wants to join me let's go jump in the snow and my daughter's like boom she takes after me she's very adventurous i like to cliff jump she wants to cliff jump you know she's all about it Mm -hmm. and so it's so cool this year that she threw on her bathing suit and I'm in shorts and we run out in the snow and we jumped into two feet of snow. We did snow <laughs> angels and ran back inside. And it was like high five. This is cool moment that I was able to have with my daughter, you know? Yeah. No, that That's so awesome to see that you're able to engage with her like that, you know? And, yeah. And, and that's a memory that she's, she's going to forever have, you know? Yeah, totally, man. And it will do it every year. I said, this is the new tradition. We're going to do this everything <laughs> here now. <laughs> That's so awesome, brother. I wanted to ask you, you've had some amazing guests on your show. Yeah. Now, with that being said, Eric, what are some of the uh, the moments that you've seen back like with, with different guests and stuff like that? Which one stands out the most to you? For me, it was Ed Milet. Um, I came across Ed in 2018, and I felt like what he was talking about, I don't even know what episode I saw him on. It was early on. Uh, but I just felt like his values, his walk with Christ, it was aligning with me. And I said, I just started like sponge watching everything that he had put out, man. I was like almost manifesting that I was going to meet this guy. And then in 2019, he issued the max out challenge where he said, I want everybody had a million followers on Instagram time, submit a one minute story to me of what you're passionate about, what drives you to be successful. And I shared my story in this one minute clip. And I said, man, I want to provide for my family. I'm here because God has given me an opportunity to make an impact. And he kept posting all these things like, this is a winner, this is a top winner, this is a top winner. They weren't our top runner, right? And then two months after that, he tagged me in a post. And I was like, what? And I actually won the Max Out Challenge. And I got to have a phone call with him, just him and I on Zoom. And it changed my life. The wow. guy shut everything down. And he was very, very interested in what I had going on. And I was able to record that and release that as part of my podcast. And so I had Ed Milet on as episode 12 on my podcast. And prior to that, I had Sean Whalen. And then it just opened the door to Tim Story and Bedros Cooling and Brad Lee and, you know, uh, Dan Caldwell, Jim the Rookie Morris, you know, Eric LeGrand, just some amazing guests. And it all because of that one call that I had with Ed that just fired me up. And, and I still, uh, to this day, the podcast, the reason I have a podcast is because of Ed Milet and, uh, you know, and God, but, uh, you know, I think, but Ed was really that, that inspiration for me to get my podcast going. 
Mm, man, that is so awesome to see that, dude. And uh, one of the things he said to me was right here on my wall, uh, it says it's an acronym and it's canny. And it's constant and never ending improvement. So I wake up every day. I want to know something different. I want to always be improving on a daily basis. Wow. Constant and never ending, never improvement. ending improvement. Wow. That, that's awesome. I need to write that down because no, it's true. We're constantly growing. You know what I mean? Especially yeah. hungry for, you know, the, we talk about how knowledge is power, right? Yeah. And I liken that to where the Bible talks about how my people suffer for lack of knowledge. Mm. you know what i mean mm -hmm. so if we gain that knowledge you know that's going to help us that's going to help us to be able to to help these other people you know what i mean one of the yep. biggest things i've seen with life in general not just the church or anything like that is everybody wants a handout i'm not here to give you a hand out i'm here to give you a hand up yes mm. you know i love that but uh, once again eric dude thank you so much for coming on our podcast and sharing all this useful information um, you're an amazing dude, bro. And thank you for, for blessing us to come on here and just share your inspiration and stuff like that. You know what I mean? It's truly an honor to have you. It oh, really David, is. it's truly an honor to be on your show, man. You're an absolute world changer and, and people need to be watching your show and listening to your show, man, because it is so good. The guests that you bring on, um, you know, the, the, the conversation that you bring to the table is truly amazing. I was a guest on 117 uh, podcasts last year, 2021, man. And so I got to see all the professional really crappy shows and i'll tell you man this is one of the top shows i've ever been on man so keep doing your thing man right on thank you i appreciate that man that's just just that's truly dude that's humbling to hear you know what i mean so Come once on. again brother god bless you and have a blessed day man you too oh oh one thing before we get off brother how yeah. can people follow you like, oh yeah great question man so eric allen media.com is the website e-r-i-k media.com and then i'm big on instagram so eric g allen is my handle on there. I respond to every comment, every DM. And uh, man, I just love connecting with people. And, and, you know, hopefully that can impact you guys through either speaking or video content creation or, you know, laser engraving. Or I have a lot of stuff on my plate, man, but I, I love to just help people and impact people. So check out the website, man. If I can help you out, let's make it happen. Awesome. Thank you, brother. God bless.